Welcome to the first edition of Make Pro Wrestling Majestic Again. I am Tiger Height. And I'm Peanut Gallery. Yes, yeah, so, obvi- <laughs> so obviously the, um, the green screen is not quite big enough to put us both in there, but we will work on it. Uh, there is an um, Amazon wish list as well, so check it out. Um, this is our first edition of the show, and we're going to be talking about, because there were a couple of times over the last couple of weeks that... Both sides, AEW and WWE, have said we're open to working together. Right. And with all of these other companies opening the forbidden door, right. quote unquote, uh, you know, that could be an opportunity, could be something that we will see. So, Peanut Gallery, we're going to start with your new segment. Okay, we're going to start with, it's no longer called the Bibble Study. It is now called... Drumroll, please. Hold on. <laughs> Heckling from the hard camera. Yes. With Peanut Gallery. So. And I'll give you a brief history behind it. So, um, if you know, the Peanut Gallery originated in the Vaudevillain days. Or Vaudeville days. Not Vaudevillain. Who the fuck? Anyways. Well, they, they were. They, they were, were called Vaudevillains. But it was, right. from the, it was from the Vaudeville days. And the Peanut Gallery was the. Um, was the uh, the cheap seats, right? And so I thought, well, where are the cheap seats in in pro wrestling? And they tend to be where the hard camera is because people want to be on television, right. so they want the more expensive. So that's kind of where that came from. So it's it's pretty much the same kind of format, but it's just a little bit different in terms of of what it's called. Right. It's going to be more of a cultural. Uh, a well, cultural obvi- obviously, study. obviously, religion will still be a factor in there, but oh, you're yeah. gonna you're Absolutely. gonna talk about the cultural significance of the things instead right. of maybe the historical part right. of it. So, um, you know, what I did for this segment was um, I, I went I did a, a couple of different. Um, you know, just a couple different, uh, uh, God, what is it called? Um, uh, a couple different, like, ways in which these cross promotions did very well. Right. Um, you know, especially because, um, especially in the past, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these promotions that did the cross promotions right. were different cultures and as that well. Will, and this will be something that I am going to be talking about as well with the actual right. history part of it instead of the actual significance of it maybe outside of wrestling so uh where are we going to start peanut gallery all right well from the the nitty-gritty of the pro wrestling biz from how you duty to your television screen today's topic is going to be crossing cultures with cross promotion you can put the pictures up in any order that you really want well i mean you're going to be talking about specific examples so i feel like that's something that we should at least talk about the first example the partnership between ring of honor and uh and uh, New, New Japan, Japan. and that was and that was this one. Yes. So so what was significant about this, and, and the reason I chose this one as one of the most significant, is because it is it kind of jump started this era of, of this modern cross promotion era with AEW right. with with New Japan. And what's interesting about this is really kind of put these stars and many other stars on the same on, on the same consciousness. As, as the WWE, right? With without that, without this cross promotion, AEW wouldn't exist. NXT in its current iteration wouldn't exist. New Japan would not be filmed 
You know, they wouldn't have English commentary here in America. Right. You know, a lot of these things started because of this cross-promotion between Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Right. Because then you got really big matches and introduced a right. whole new dynamic where you had um, New Japan stars winning the Ring of Honor champions right. and vice versa, and they wrestled at Wrestle Kingdom, which right. once again, um, exposing the audience of the American fans to the Japanese style of professional exactly, wrestling. Exactly, exactly. So um, I found that to be very interesting. And like I said, um, a lot of these uh, cross-promotion really were companies from very different styles, from very different countries. Right. So uh, that's why I chose this one first. Now, how, however, this is not the first time that this has been attempted. Right. So going to my second example, let's talk about uh, TNA and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, that yes. Time. That it was uh, Kiyoshi and No Limit. Right. So this one was a spectacular failure on TNA's part. Uh, now, New Japan, when they brought their TNA stars over New Japan, they actually did the opposite. It was, it was awesome. What was interesting about this, though, was it really exposed the Japanese audience right. to the American promotion. Right, and, and, unfortunately, and, is, and unfortunately it was TNA. <laughs> right, and unfortunately it was TNA. But you got some great people going over and winning the world champion, most notably Kurt Angle. Right, Kurt Angle. You had Jeff Hardy Jeff face Hardy, um, Tetsuya Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. Yep. Um, there, were, there was that, but unfortunately... I think the person who was writing, especially in the early days, Vince Russo, um, the Japanese wrestlers do not like Russo because of how he books the Japanese right. wrestlers. We're obviously not saying that he's racist. He might be racist. He's most certainly racist. Right. But the thing is, is that this really, this is, the, I think this is the thing that really gave us the more modern-esque because they started in like 2006. Yeah, they so, did. So you had that, you know? Yep. And and so, uh, you know, like I said, TNA did some very spectacular mistakes, uh, most notably uh, most notably the repackaging of one Kazuchika Okada. Right. And, but, but, you know, and like, like in the early days, like in 2005, I remember they had a couple of matches with um, Shinsuke Nakamura, who yep. was the heavyweight champion, on their show. Yep. And this was Spike. So, I mean, it was a big get. Right. And I, I mean, there is, there, you have to give the old TNA at least some credit with right. that. Um, with bringing in these stars, right? You know? Yeah. Um, so those are two modern examples of what can and cannot go wrong. Now let's go to uh, ECW's partnership with um, the World Wrestling Federation. No, with oh. uh, Michinoku Pro. Oh yes. Uh, da, 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 where is that? I think that was this. In, one. in no. fact, in fact, uh, can you? I, I kind of wish you. ECW. That's fine. We'll just didn't, leave it here. Didn't go. <laughs> Really didn't go extreme. They didn't have these death matches and stuff until their partnership with uh, Michinoku. Well, I think I think at that time it was Eastern Championship it Wrestling was, still yes. too. So you really you really had that where it was every other promotion yep. until uh, they really changed it over to this because right. because ECW ECW was not the first promotion in the world to do extreme wrestling. Actually, right. that that sort of death match style wrestling originated in Japan. Right. And moved over to the United. But, States, but they, it wasn't but until they cranked those they cranked those hardcore things up oh, to yeah. fucking infinity. It would have I don't think the hardcore matches even back then would have flown even back then. Because right. I mean they had like exploding stuff and piranhas and uh, I mean it was I mean I was I even get uncomfortable of how gory right. it is. Like my God, how do these people not die? 
You know? Yeah, and and um, this this style of wrestling, you know, again, ECW popularized it a lot, but you know, then you have the bleed over into the WWF, which is well, I'll just leave that there. <laughs> it's on the screen there, but what I but what well, it, I, it was so popular. Right, it was so popular that it had to it had to um, it had to WWE WWE had, had to, to compete. It. Right, they had to incorporate it in some aspect into their storylines. Right, and I'm going to be talking a lot about the ECW-WWF crossover as well on my segment right. as well. So, so um, you know, again, uh, with, with the WWF, now this is before the 2001 invasion, but there was a 1997 ECW invasion. Right. Which, you know, if you watch the Attitude Era, it's very well known. Yes. Um, within that, and... You know, you have you have partnerships like you have RVD and Sabu appearing on Raw, and Jerry King Waller appearing on ECW. And I have I have a couple um, of I have a couple of yeah. um, I have a couple of videos of those infamous times because I'm going to be talking about yeah. that too. And and it really highlighted I think um, one important aspect of partnerships, and this was a partnership uh, primarily based upon the fact that ECW was financially backed by the WWF for many years. And it was, it wasn't, it wasn't known at all up, I think until like 2001 when I think, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, Heyman was under contract with him, I think in 97, something like that, something like that. So, and that was hidden from the wrestlers and the wrestlers were not happy because they were still getting paid by Heyman where their checks were still bouncing. So, um, and, uh, you know, the other thing, too, um, around the same time as this ECW invasion, WWF had another partnership with um, with uh, the National Wrestling Alliance. And that's um, uh, that's the Jim Cornette yeah, picture, right? Okay. That's the Jim Cornette picture. Now, this one was not as successful. No. And, ECW, and if you know anything about the WWF and the NWA, they have always had their problems, but they've always tried to... They've always tried to kind of, you know, do their thing right. together and kind of do do cross promotions. But, you know, a lot of these, um, especially the old NWA, we're talking pre uh, we're talking pre Corgan NWA. Right. Obviously, the modern one is not the same as what it was back in the, you know, back even a, until like the mid 2000s. Like this is early. This is, you know, mid late 80s, early 90s stuff that we're talking about here where the NWA still was a very prominent organization, right. one of the most powerful everywhere else in the country other than Georgia, well Georgia was part of it. Right. Um Georgia and New York. Right. So, because they they kind of took on a life of their own. Right. So, um, you know, you had, you had people like Jeff Jarrett showing up and yep. Dan Severn and the Rock and Roll Express appearing on on Monday Night Raw. Yep. And so, um, you know, again, these partnerships take take form in many different ways. But what I find is that some companies do very well with it, and other companies they just botch it up. Right. And you can tell the differences. In- let's let's talk about some of those. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about some of those. Let's talk. Well, actually, I want to talk about another kind of partnership first. And this okay. is a WWE partnership with Evolve Pro Wrestling and Dragon Gate USA. Right. Now, this is before that they outright purchased right. them. This was. So, um, you know, a lot of these wrestling relationships, especially in the same countries, have this sort of low, you know, they like move through the system. So you have, you right. know, like a WWE's partnerships back in the day with um, OVW. Right. And Florida Championship Wrestling. And, and Smoky, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yeah. You're right. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of these uh, uh, partnerships are actually more of a farm system, too. 
Right, but they were independent as they well. Now, Evolve, right. Evolve was doing well by itself before WWE purchased it. And also, um, as I was looking at it, so the little the young whippersnapper that's right there, uh, that's Darby Allen. Yeah. So um, you kind of got some, you know, uh, 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 let's try that again, um, AEW stuff yeah. too. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of these bigger companies went through these farm systems because everybody here – in this picture, at least at the time, other than Gargano, which is over there, um, that was uh, – they were independent contractors yeah. in the purest form. Yeah, they were. Um, and and so, you know, so the way I see it is that these partnerships take on different forms depending on where they are in the world. Right. If they're within the same country, it becomes more of a client relationship to the the mothership, the mother company. Right. And then you have these other companies that maybe they move through the system. Now, of course, that is changing, but most of the partnerships up until this past decade or so have been international promotions. Right. So you'd have a Japanese promotion and a Mexican promotion working together. You'd have a Mexican-American promotion working together. You wouldn't have two promotions within the same system. Right. Let's, let's talk about – well, let's talk about, let's talk about um, some partnerships that didn't go as well as planned. Most infamous one being the uh, merger, if you want to call it that, between GFW and TNA, and that was Jeff Jarrett one. Yes, so I oh, gotta love Jeff Jarrett. We should do an entire episode. Oh God, it's oh oh, it's a cluster fuck. It's a cluster. <laughs> it's a cluster of fucking half. So, so obvious. So obviously, Jeff Jarrett was blacklisted from the WWF and WCW's bought out, so he made Impact or right. TNA, TNA at the time. At the time. So uh, this was because Jeff Jarrett still had. Some shares within TNA that, as the organization. Right. So he was trying to take back control, essentially. Well, it was take. Well, it, it was kind of take back control, but then they kind of pushed him out, yeah, and that was that was just a bucket of worms. And you know, with TNA, we can we can do a whole episode on just that whole era of cluster because we lived we lived it at the time. Right. So there was a great deal there, right. you know, with the GFW merger thing. And then, oh, we're starting to do the merger without actually outright buying the name. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Jarrett was going through um, some issues. Right. And but what I find really interesting about Global Force Wrestling. I swear to God, they're fucking dumbasses. <laughs> I know. But what I find most interesting about Global Force Wrestling is that Jeff Jarrett attempted to unify a bunch of different wrestling promotions together. To create li literally, literally a global brand, right? A and global and um, so brand. so kind of like what NXT is doing right now, right? Jarrett was the producer for Wrestle Kingdom, I think it was eight, yes, for yeah. for America. For America. So he he was the one who got Jr. and uh, Matt Stryker to do commentary. He was the one who produced the whole thing for Americans. Right. So people are like, oh my god, he's taking credit for that. I mean, in a way, yes. Uh, you should at least give the guy credit, you know, right. third-generation wrestler. And it's not like his company – well, this one went bad, uh, right. the GFW one. But, I mean, Impact Wrestling, goddamn, it's a cockroach of the industry, I'm right. telling you. Um, but uh – what I find is, again, it really just depends on the people who are who are in charge. Now, Jeff Jarrett had a great idea going into it to really create a product that might have. If, and he was he had he had, he had he had those things lined up too. He was working with Crash. He was working with New Japan. He yeah. was working with 
um, a, a bunch of them. He was like geared was up and ready. With Mexico. He was working in India. He was working in the UK. He was working in America. Right. Unfortunately, his first tour um, was that big baseball stadium tour, which made it look really bad. You should have started small and right. then expanded out because even in a we saw it, we see it in NXT. Even in a small venue, there's going to be great energy, and that's what people want to experience. Right. I don't care if I'm around 10,000 people or 500 people. Right. I want that experience. And, and, you know, and the other thing, too, is I think this may have inspired the WWE itself to create its own infrastructure and go out and build these NXT brands. So you start with NXT in the U.S., and we did an episode a while back to where I think we had discussed where WWE should right. set up NXTs next. Um, it seems like they might be setting up in India. Well, it's a and, huge, it's a huge market. Right. Um, Ring, Ring, Ring King was the first big one, and I mean, I think like that the was, debut. And I think that was under Global Force as well, if I'm not mistaken. No, that was under TNA. Oh, it wow. was, it was, it was a TNA it thing. Was, yeah, it was pre Global Force. It was right? pre, okay. yep, it was pre. Jared was still in control. Yeah. That was like 2010 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but um, you know, so what we're seeing, I guess, is this modern movement of there's really kind of two paths. If you want to expand internationally, either you build the infrastructure out yourself, which is what the WWE is doing, or well, they have the money to do right, it though. Or, or you bring these partnerships and you you partner up with other companies to kind of do talent sharing, right? Um, and that's been kind of the tradition, um, or maybe even a mix of both, which is what WWE is doing in the UK right now, where some of these people are signed with other companies at the same time, right? Which is very rare in the industry. Um, but let's talk about um, let's talk about WCW, and I think we're going to end on this WCW notes because WCW was kind of a pioneer in in bringing these global partnerships. Right, Eric together. Eric Bischoff brought in the cruiserweights from Mexico yep. and Japan to work um, here, and that's how he started out. Every single Nitro was with the cruiserweights. Yep. And they were international. It was, actually, I don't think any of them were signed to full WCW contracts right. at the and, time. And so WCW was seen for, for a long time as the place where you would go to see international talent. Right. That's how you got these international talents into the system. So really, I, I really think it was popularized in the United States with these global partnerships by WCW. WWF did it. For a long time as well, but they're not really emphasizing that anymore because right. it's now you're now able to reach a global audience through right. And I mean, it was I mean it was a um, it was a very big thing back in the right. '90s uh, because yeah, we did not have the internet. I mean, there was Meltzer and stuff, but you couldn't really like watch it right. unless you got the tapes. Right, and and you didn't have to do that. Yeah. And um, let's talk about, you know, the most enduring relationship WCW had was with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Right. Um, and you go back and watch old WCW content, you'll see a lot of evidence of the partnership. I mean, you have, you had, right, Great Muda. Muda. Yep. Um, you'll have Starkey 1995, which was the World Cup of Wrestling. But not all of their relationships worked out, as, as many do. Um you know, uh, obviously the uh, the most, I guess, the most significant one was Gaia, um, uh, the Japanese women's professional wrestling promotion, right. or Gaia. Um, you know, of course, the WWE has had a uh, WCW has had a very 
very uh, unique affair with women's wrestling in general yeah. at that time, um, especially after uh, the whole uh, the whole uh, uh, WWF uh, debacle or the WCW. Where Medusa threw away the yeah. women's champion, and that was a whole, you know, thing, because that was really the first shot. Right. But, yeah, um, they never but really WCW had... WCW <clears throat> never really had a good women's division. No, they um, they never really put any emphasis on it, so mm-hmm. we never really saw it. It was more about, I'm sorry, but when, especially in the 90s, mm-hmm. it was tits and ass. That's right. kind of where that's kind of where our culture was right. in the 90s. Yeah. Um, so you know, kind of concluding this segment, I think what I want to what I want people to get out of is that these cross promotions have been the impetus for many of the trends that we see today. Right. Um, and really, I kind of see. It, a lot of great things come out of it, and even from the failures, you can see trends that people learn from these failures to create something that's more successful. Right. Um, and I think that through our study of these cross promotions, we've realized, oh yeah, that that sort of thing still exists today. Right. Oh yeah, that that's kind of partnership still exists even amongst the failures and I think that we have mentioned I think we've touched on quite a few of them oh absolutely um so that's kind of where I'm at do you have anything else to add not really no okay so so when we come back we're going to be doing wrestling lesson with tiger height and we're going to be within the same thing cross promotions I'm I'm going to stick with WWF but you know cross promotion so stay tuned for that all right and we are back. Let's talk about wrestling lessons. So with Pina Gallery, with heckling at the hard heckling from the hard camera, mm-hmm. uh, with the cultural significance of crossovers, let's talk about historical ones. And I'm surprised that Pina Gallery did not touch on this one, uh, where Vince McMahon bought the time slot and bought out uh, Crockett, where which led to this, which was Black Saturday. Um, and this was in 1984, and it was in, I think, like July 7th or something like that, 1984, where McMahon purchased the uh, Jim Crockett Promotions and ran syndicated shows. Now, the difference here, and I think it's really big. Now, this, this was very significant yeah. because Southern Wrestling and Northern Wrestling are very different, mm-hmm. not only structurally but culturally. And McMahon and his um, buying off promotions, especially at this time, was very, very scary yeah, for a always, lot of people. It's always been the WWE's um, MO, well, I think. They, well, they focused themselves well, on Vince, uh, Vince's dad did not want McMahon to do this mm-hmm. at all. And he promised him that he wouldn't. So really, he kind of went against his father's wishes on not doing this because mm-hmm. his dad had a good working relationship with the NWA. Right. Even though that they were not a part of the NWA, they haven't been since I think like in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, because WWE had the biggest audience. They had Madison Square Garden sell out events, and you know you kind of kept within your line. McMahon really pushed that, so this was like one of the first big things. Um, how this came to be is that McMahon sold the promotion to Turner, and they had their own little fighting stuff from there and that was the start of the monday night wars was and really it it was this and people wrote into crockett promotions like just vitriolic hatred like i don't think people realize how much wrestling meant to these people and having mcmahon on this show they were scared that mcmahon was going to change what it meant to wrestle because 
Um, WCW and Jim Crockett Promotions was very much more focused on your traditional technical wrestling, yeah. where McMahon was more about the show, celebrities, and storylines. And it was just like, oh, shoot, this is kind of where it's going. Right. Now, obviously, nothing really came out of this other than like the biggest boom in wrestling history, but we'll move on from there. But you have cross promotions everywhere. I'm going to show at least a little bit of a clip of, oh, where is it? There it is. Uh, Ric Flair, Bob Backlund's interview. This was 1984, and it was right before their main event. Yeah. Um, their main event match, I think it was going to be in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And this is when, you know, he was, this is when Flair. And then this is when he was, there we go. Jeez, I cannot, I was like, I was trying to find where I can like skip ahead a little bit or if it's not going to, oh, there it is. <laughs> Jeez, that was scary. So Bob Backlund, Ric Flair, WWF champion, Bob Backlund and Ric Flair, obviously. So you know, look at the little, look at the little punchable face back. And I swear to God, he just looks like the most punchable little shit. And Flair, why aren't wrestlers like Flair anymore? Like, seriously. Anyway, totally going off topic there. Um, the significance of this, that this was the first encounter of Backlands that was like this. Um, he faced, uh, in, you know, there were other wrestlers who did this. There was another one with Billy Graham and Ric Flair, too. But Backlund was really the guy that WWF used for cross-promotion because Backlund was that Olympic wrestler that was right. a more traditional one, and he knew that it was going to be good. And that's why he actually held the belt as right. long as he did. So, um, obviously, this is super weird. And I kind of love the old footage and stuff. It's only the interview. I'm not going to show the match. Right. Um, but, yeah, 1984, all that fun stuff. So, from there, let's go to um, a little bit later where Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was run by Jim Cornette, once again, another Southern-style wrestling promotion. Yeah. That had this. Uh, this started, and there was a good working relationship where Smoky Mountain would provide specific talents, and we're going to see that here. Yeah. So this is the Unibomb. Obviously, it will. This is a thing that would have never existed ever in this time. Right. Ever. Right. His name is literally the Unibomb, and we're gonna skip ahead a little bit. Um, this is him facing the Undertaker. This is in 1992. Um. So there we go. Uh, so, fun fact, the uh, the young whippersnapper actually facing The Undertaker, that is Glenn Jacobs. So, curly, blonde hair, looks like Sid Vicious, uh, and they're outside, by the way, uh, with huge, like, storm lights around. And so, they had Undertaker go down frequently. Uh, they had Bret Hart go down very frequently down there. And... The significance of this as well is that this was the first inkling of a um, of a uh, talent farm. Mm -hmm. They had talent go down there and train with Cornette and them because it was more of a traditional wrestling thing. It was black, you know, black boots, black everything up until they started doing characters. And this is where injured wrestlers would go to get back into ring shape. Right. So this was a good relationship, I think, up until like 1995, and I think uh, Smoky Mountain. Uh, this was when Smoky Mountain was taken out. Uh -huh. 
Uh, we touched on this next one, so I have two clips actually. Um, we're not doing audio just because I'm, you know, a little nervous about doing audio, especially um, right now. So maybe we'll maybe we'll incorporate it later. Yeah. Uh, let's go to um, a very very famous debate between. This is 1997. So at this point in time, ECW was still existing, and they called Paul. Uh, Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously as well. And this is kind of when we had, nobody knew that there was a working relationship. At this point, this was literally a promotion invading another promotion. And they kept it under wraps. Nobody knew that they were working together, uh, basically. And Jerry Lawler was always the guy that would bash ECW. He would call it extremely crappy wrestling, yeah. and being a guy that was in Georgia, yeah. or not Georgia, Memphis, you had the Memphis traditional wrestling going against literally the um, antithesis of their rivals, which was the hardcore, because this is ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling. Right. So, extremely crappy wrestling. Oh, he doesn't take any skills to hit somebody over the head with a chair or whatever. Right. Um, and this is kind of where you had this here. Right. And obviously, at this point, the uh, the cross promotion was not just in uh, WWE or not just on WWF television, even though that was the right. biggest rating. Uh, they also had their things on ECW television. So this is the uh, infamous thing where uh, Rob Van Dam, who was signed with a company and a very big. Um, proprietor, a very big person that was against ECW. That was his original gimmick was going against ECW, where he came from. Right. So he and Sabu were in this. I'm see if I can find RVD somewhere. I know he's somewhere here. There he is. So RVD, this is ECW. He had a Monday Night Raw shirt on. Yeah. And he's attacking Tommy Dreamer, who obviously is ECW personified. You can't find anybody else. Then Sabu comes in a little bit later because they were a very famous tag team in ECW. Yeah. And they all did this. And then there's Jerry Lawler on ECW television. Right. They had to get him basically from the car that Polly had for him and get him right into the arena. There was no way because this is ECW crap. Right. They hated this guy with a fiery burning passion. If they did not do that kind of protection, I can almost guarantee you Jerry Lawler would have been killed. Like, I am not kidding you. They had to do that, and they had to take him out immediately as well because, once again, he could have been killed. So my my segment here is not as long or as, as that. And, you know, WWE has had other ones as well. I wanted to illustrate right. that even back then, the cross-promotion was still a very important thing right. and the a very important dynamic to not only uh, ECW and WWF. Right. And... And then they, you know, they it's back and forth. They kind of embrace the vision of... They kind of embrace the vision of cross-promotion. And then there's other ones where they are like, oh, ew, let's not do this. I mean, Mr. McMahon hates um, AEW. He call, I think they, he mentioned it. It's called Blood and Guts. So that's kind of where that name came from, too. Right. And now with Jericho's thing with Steve Austin, that was kind of weird. Um, with Peacock here, it's a, it is a cross-promotion in a way. 
it's kind of fucking weird. And then now you are most likely, I wouldn't be surprised in the next five years, we're going to see um, AEW and WWE working together. I mean, I guarantee you that we're going to see in two years with New Japan. Well, we, we've already seen it. We've already seen a New Japan one with AEW. WWE has to embrace it. If they don't, they're fucked. Right. So let's. Um, so that's kind of going to be the uh, big discussion for yeah. this. Is going to be uh, the the future. I think of of um, cross promotions. Cross promotions. Right. So, so that that will be our last part. So when we come back, we will get right into that. Yep.
and we are back. So with the Monday night or the Wednesday night wars over. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously AEW what or AEW decimated NXT. Yeah. Um, demo wise, reaction wise, everything. Yep. Um, we have seen a a wave of well, I guess WWE their their spring cleaning as well with all of these released talents. Yep. And uh, I think that everyone is kind of speculating what's next for all these talents. But really, what I think we introduced coming up to this point is we're seeing different purposes and models of what cross-promotion means. Right. So um, we've seen uh, so cross-promotions within the United States between two United States promotions have mm-hmm. historically been that of a farm system where you have the, the mothership promotion. Right. And then you have the baby promotions underneath it, you know, cultivating this talent for right. the, the big leagues. Right. And AEW is a big leaguer. Right, and, and that has really been the uh, the status quo between two American promotions. Right. right. On the other hand, you have uh, promotions that are international in scope, where you have um, you have an American promotion and a Japanese promotion working together. You have an American promotion and a Mexican and promotion a because Mexican they promotion because the, the right because the main focus and I think the, the, well, I'm not the main, well the main focus of those the main the main demographic of every wrestling promotion is having exposure here in the United States. Right. There is nothing else. And, and a lot of a lot of promotions do it to do uh, you know, the primary purpose was talent and cultural exchange right through this medium of professional wrestling. Um, that has been met with varying degrees. Now, uh, there are other routes that wrestling promotions have taken in more recent years um, where you have American promotions working together that are not a client relationship with, you know, between um, the NWA and AEW, for example. Right. At AEW and Impact. They're not, they're not like, it's not like Impact's a farm of, a, of AEW. They're cross-promoting like they would internationally. Right. Um, you have other wrestling promotions um, being financially backed. WWE is very well known for financially backing promotions before ultimately absorbing them as a as right. a you company. Have, we, right, you like can now you have progress and evolve and all of those. They're um, they're, on, they're owned by WWE yeah, now, but they're not going to change the thing right. that they had. No. Um, then you also have. Uh, uh, wrestling promotions or wrestling promoters attempting to internationalize their their home product, like we're seeing with NXT right now. Right. Um, or and and that results in other new promotions uh, partnerships opening up. WWE has a lot of partnering promotions, especially within the NXT UK system, because there's not a lot of homegrown NXT UK talent. Right. And that's starting to change too, but. Um, you know, you're starting to get this infrastructure built by the WWE, and then, of course, you have promoters that have done terribly with uh, with uh, Jeff Jarrett and his Global Force Wrestling idea. Right. Great idea and concept, poor, poor execution. execution. It's all about execution. I mean, that, that, that's so, just kind of it. I guess, I guess before we get to the question, because we obviously know what direction AEW is going with regards to how they're approaching their international expansion. They're doing it through partnerships. 
I guess before we answer the question of what is going to be the future of the WWE doing these things, what kind of model do you see WWE continuing? Do you see them continuing this NXT model throughout the world, or are they going to run into some brick walls? Um, I Here's my thing, and I think it's going to be – well, because – Wrestling changes where you go culturally. So a style that works here in America is not going to work in Mexico. It just simply won't and vice versa. And we've seen the Mexican style of wrestling. It's very high impact, very spotty. And there are people who get mentally exhausted from that. With New Japan, it is stronger. It is hard hitting. It's very MMA Esque because the um, person who really cultivated, created, and developed what we know as strong style, Antonio Inoki, was a huge MMA fan. Right. And here in America, you're going to have more of a theatrical thing that's going to work. Um, but everything does work together. How you do that, because you can't, it's, it's hard to know. Because if you go to the UK, and NXT UK feels different. Mm -hmm. They do a different style. They have a different storyline development. And there are people who like it. I like NXT UK. I think it's a nice little break from your cookie-cutter WWE. But that's not going to work everywhere. So in a Mexican NXT Mexico may not work right. because of the style difference. You cannot use an American style in Mexico, and it's going to be very difficult to translate that kind of storyline aspect and that kind of presentation here to America. Right. So when we discuss WWE, for example, moving into the United Kingdom, um, did you do you think that they would have considered partnering with another promotion or do you think WWE is going to stick on this path and create its own infrastructure and introduce homegrown talent? They're going to, they're going to do that. Their infrastructure. They're going to do that. I so, mean, because they, they want, they want control. They want full autonomy of everything that's happening. Right. So you're not really going to see them uh, unless, unless they're going to open up. And obviously we're seeing that now with right. the UK, they're not, they're not making it WWE light. They're making it NXT UK. Right. They're making it almost a distinct brand from the WWE. Not, and, just, not just from NXT, but from the WWE itself. Because you're not seeing a lot of talent go from NXT UK to the WWE. Right. It's going it's like, to be like very you challenging. Do, like you do with NXT. Right. Well, I mean, American you, can, you see like Walter and them. But the thing is, is that I think right now wrestling has to have variety. And... You, and with AEW, it, the Mexican, the different styles are working because they have a mix of all the styles. Right. You'll see some Japanese, you'll see a little bit of this, you'll see a little bit of that. And I think um, they're incorporating more gimmicks into NXT UK right. that they got to do it really carefully. Right. But I think it can be done. Because there aren't a lot of people in NXT UK with distinct... Um, with distinct uh... Um, I mean, there, there are some that do, though. There's, there are some um, that do, there, yes. There's Wild Boar, there's Walter, there's um, all, all of Imperium, who are very the maddest, sacred, kind of right. traditional-esque wrestling. But then you also get, um, you know, Isla Dawn, who's more of that mystical Alexa Bliss pre, um, you know, alt-alt-girl, right. whatever, whatever the hell that's happening. <laughs> like that fairy princess thing, it's very similar to right. it. And, you know, 
I think there are people who are craving character. Right. We want characters in wrestling. We don't want to... I mean, you could be a great wrestler, but you got to have a character. Walter is a character, even though he doesn't feel like a character. Right. He is. You know, I'm going to... He's a, he's a big bear dude who's going to do some stuff. He's going to kill you. Right. It's a character. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think I think when we're discussing this, we gotta we gotta understand what does the W what's the WWE strategy for going into these new cultures, countries, whatever the case may be, because you know, of course, they're they're doing tryouts. They've been doing tryouts all over the world. They've Especially it, in India, right now. They've done it in India. Yep. They've done it in in um, uh, Saudi Arabia. They've yep. done it in Germany. Um, and so I guess in, in discussing the next step for the WWE, obviously they're looking to go into India. Now the Indian market, of course, has a, it's again, a style that's a little bit different. Yeah. So do you foresee an NXT, an NXT India working at this point? Or do you think it would be better to go a different route and say, Hey, let's partner with the promotion instead of building out our own infrastructure because we know what AEW is going to do. AEW would say, let's partner with a, right. with a promotion in India if they were to explore that market. The WWE doesn't seem to be taking that approach very very well or at least their their approach is a little bit different. Right. Do you see the WWE NXT yes, India working like it does in the UK. They are they are going to do NXT India. Like they're not gonna they're gonna make sure that they have once again, it's about that excuse me. It's about that copyright control. Mm-hmm. Um they will obvious they obviously have the pull and the funds to give the character the wrestlers that are working in India mm-hmm. more money. And Go to their brand. Right. If any other company couldn't, no other company, I don't think, has the monetary resources to do that, even AEW right now. Right. They're going to wait until AEW is making them money and sitting on their own. Right. Instead of having the cons pay for everything. Right. Until they start doing expansions. Because right now, AEW does not really have to do any kind of expansion. They're not in any kind of position to do that. Right. Because WWE is already doing it. They're just working with other companies because they want they want the talent, but they want to make sure that there is a different identity. WWE is not that kind of thought process. WWE is more that corporate-like... It is a corporation. That is what WWE is. And there's nothing wrong... There's nothing wrong with that. No, but you... But what we're seeing is we're almost seeing two distinct styles of, right. of cross-promotion being developed. We're, mm-hmm. seeing the, we're seeing the development of of the WWE infrastructure where they go in and they... WWE eyes... Uh, other, con- you know, other, other countries type, yeah. wrestling. Yep. And and then you have the AEW and, and really the more traditional approach of partnering with these companies, right? Without and, the intent of farm. Right. And the thing is, I think if we were talking about this thirty years ago, I might say that WWE is going to be doing something different. Yep. They might have done the more traditional route. Right. But the thing is, when you're thinking about the branding, the international branding. Oh, hey, WWE is going to be in India. Right. Sounds a lot better than WWE is now in a working relationship with this company. Right. They're going to have their own brand because WWE is the gold standard of wrestling. And they will be the gold standard of wrestling at least for a while until AEW puts a 
big ass dent in them. No other company, maybe WCW, has come close to do that. Right. But before it was the NWA. Right. And the NWA was kind of the gold standard of wrestling, but they right. had they partnered up with other promotions to use they, they the had, they had the, they had the rudimentary, so, but, so, but like... So maybe, maybe they're setting up... And so WWE essentially might be setting up an NWA style where, hey, you're all going to be under this banner of NXT, but we're going to provide you with the funds and all that kind of stuff. Right. But the thing is that each... The thing with the NWA... They had the NWA World Champion, but then there were the regional World Champions right. as well that kind of gave that thing. Um, WWE does have that in a way, but you're not going to have the NXT UK Champion coming to America to face Bobby Lashley for the WWE right. Champion. You're, it's just simply, unless they want to do that, they're going to take the title off of him first. Right. You've, we've had double titles in the NWA. You just don't have that there. And right. there are wrestlers who are going to be more popular right. in their certain area. Ric Flair was the most popular in Georgia. Dusty Rhodes was the most popular in Florida, et cetera, et cetera. Nick Bockwinkle was the most popular in St. Louis. Right. So now you ask you, like, okay, Walter is the most popular in the UK right now. But, po- but Walter is also going to be popular everywhere else. Right, because of the international... You know, you're going to have that WWE branding right. because he is the NXT UK champion, not the Evolve World Champion. Right. Um, let's talk about let's talk about WWE moving into more competitive markets, say, like like Japan. Like Japan. That's that's going to be hard. I, I, I just don't think you're going to do that. I think they so, I think they're smart so, enough not to do that. So in that case, then. Do you see they, they would they would move if, to China before they would move to Japan. If if the WWE wanted to go into a market like Japan, would it be worth it for them to do an NXT Japan, or would no. they just partner up with another company and call it a day? I don't even think they would touch Japan with a ten foot pole. There's no way. It's too competitive. You because you have is it the same with Mexico then? Yes, I think that's but that's, that's, that's why that's why we haven't seen it because you have Crash. Yeah. And the only reason crashes it, the only reason crashes even there because of Conan. Conan was already popular. Right. Um, you have obviously CMLL and AAA that have already established themselves as and they, the Mexican promotion. They kind of have that duopoly there. Right. WWE is going to go where wrestling is popular, but they don't have those big brands. Right. I'm sorry, the UK did not have. A CMLL. They did not no. have a New Japan. Like, oh, what about Evolve? Yeah, but those are still small. I don't. I don't think people even heard about Evolve until NXT right. UK. Exactly. I mean, it's like, what? What do you have? Well, like the novice fan did not right. know about it. Like other people knew about it for years. I've known about like insane championship wrestling and shit for years. But they're not going to go there. They're going to go to a place where it's popular, like India, but don't have um, big promotions like India. Right. So or Arabia or whatever the case may Saudi be. Saudi Arabia, exactly, yeah. where it's popular, but they don't have the big brand like a CMLL. Right. So that's that, the only thing stopping them. Yeah, and so that's that's kind of the approach that you see WWE taking now. When Triple H eventually takes the realm, or somebody else takes the realm, do you see that changing? No. Okay. I, I just I, I think that they're going to be smart enough, and there's a board of directors that are going to tell them that let's not go here. There's a there's a good demographic there's a good demographic in this country. Let's take it over, because and also this and, yeah. Let's try that again. This this whole expansion is a brainchild of Triple H. So even right. if Triple H does take over, he's now, still going to also also keep, keep in mind also keep in mind, and I know this from experience. Right. WWE is not as popular in these other places 
as um, CMLL. Right. They're they're not as popular. Right. It's WWE's a, not popular in Mexico. WWE's not popular in Japan. They, why would they do that? Right. They, they'd be stu- honestly, it would be stupid for them to go to any of these places. They could go to a Central American country. That would make sense. The, the market's not big enough there. And remember, too, language. Right. There's a language barrier. There's a, there's a lot of different factors that mm. you have to really keep in mind when you're talking about expansions. They knew that they were popular in the UK. They've done UK tours forever. Yep. Why? Not? And those were the most popular tours. People wanted to go on those tours because it was where they made and a now, ton of money. And now WWE's doing their whole tour of Arabia. They're doing, you know, that they did, of course, you know, the Saudi Arabia shows. But that's not the only thing they do there. Right. They've gone on tours in Arabia. Right. They're, they've they've gone tours in India because yeah. there is a market for WWE in that place. They're but not. You don't see them going to Japan. You well, don't see them going to Mexico. It's a rarity that you see that. It's a it's right. a rare thing. Now, when they do like a big show, they do a big show in these places to right. show. But when was the last time that you saw like this gigantic SmackDown or Raw in Japan? Right. I can't remember the last time they did that. I mean, not even before right. the pandemic. Right. It's it just doesn't make sense for them to go into these places where the style is going to be different and people right. are accustomed to that different style. Right. So WWE went to a place like the United Kingdom. They were already who, who po- did the WWE partner up with when they did Beast in the East? Didn't they do a partnership with the company or was that all on their own? That was all on their own. I thought so. I can't remember why. I mean, because I think they were good. I think that was kind of like their little dabble. There into was their test it. run. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like when they do Super Showdown in right. Well, because um, because they Melbourne. well because they signed Finn Balor right before that, so there was oh. a big interest in WWE because Finn Balor, who wrestled in New Japan, went back and won right. the NXT Champion. Oh. yes. So you know you see. I, I really think that these new test markets are ideas as to where WWE is going to go next. So obviously they've been in Arabia, um, they've been in. They just have the been, opportunity. They've been all over Europe. They they have the opportunity to actually show us these shows right. because they do these kinds of shows. They've been doing these shows forever, yeah. decades. But we just have not had the ability to see it up until the WWE Network and well now Peacock here in America kind of took that over. Right. And then, you know, the, they do test shows in, in Australia. It's a gauge interest, really. Because right. Because you see the WWE is going to... They're I not going to partner with anybody. They're going to build their infrastructure based on where they see that big return on the investment that right. they would put into it. Um, you know, and of course, every other promotion, they just said, let's partner. Whereas WWE is like... Let's partner, but we want to do things our way. We right. want to do things by our standards. We want to have our brand in this country. You can still partner with us, but we're not gonna. We're not gonna like say we're not gonna move into this market because right. we will. Right. So here's my question to you: because WWE um, has progress and. They have evolved under their banner. Do you see those companies going away, or do you think that WWE just bought them and they're going to keep them around? I think that eventually they're going to go away. Exactly, and that's kind of why they're not going to go into a place like New Japan, or because uh, they're, not Japan. Gonna, they're not going to partner with a, a promotion in Japan because Noah, Wrestle One, all of them are going to push I'm, them out, right? Unless unless they were going to absorb it, but mm-hmm. I don't see the WWE absorbing a a big. Pr- 
promotion like that. Right, they were. They were considering doing an NXT Japan at one point, but they just saw that the demographic just, was not there. They would just be a small fish in a pond the, the, that's dominated right, by Noah, that's right dominated now, by um, New Japan. Right, right now, the biggest demographic that nobody has touched is India. Mm-hmm. Rank King, and I'm going back to that example because that was the first time that a big American promotion really tried to work there. The problem was is that they had a sponsor, and then it was run by Viacom or the television company that was producing it. Mm-hmm. The first episode of Rinka King, I think, had like 42 million people watching it. Mm-hmm. That's insane, and WWE wants that. Right. So they, I, I guarantee you, if the pandemic did not happen, we would have already have seen an NXT India right now. Right. But because the pandemic happened, they can't get any of the production people over there to train the new production people. Right. Or um, right now, India is the worst country as a part of new COVID cases. They're getting their ass whooped. Why would they do that? All right. So, so, so in, in the next couple of years, we'll probably end up seeing an NXT India. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you think they're going to go? You think they're going to do an NXT Arabia sometime? I think sometime? here's my thing because they've already tried to do a little test water on it. They're going to go to China. Okay. I think that's kind of where they're going so they're to be going do like to an NXT China. Yes. I, I just think that's where the I and think that's the most great, obvious one. It might be a great alternative to the Japanese promotions as well because they they can't. You mean touch the, that. right? You they mean can't. the Japanese? Yeah. You said Japanese. I bet I was thinking Chinese. No, yes. no, yeah, that's a good alternative to the Japanese market because the, the Japanese, Japanese market, market is already dominated. Right. Why would you do anything like that? Right. And it just doesn't seem like New Japan, Pro Wrestling No, or any of them are popular in China. Right. Now, obviously, the governmental thing is going to be different, but God damn it, if they can go to Saudi Arabia and, you know, right. dabbling in India, obviously so they're going to work with them. big events in, in China here soon enough. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. They, yeah, they had Super Showdown in Australia to do that right. because they have a lot of Australian wrestlers. That might be where they're going to go next because they're already signing Australians. Right. Well, obviously two of them have now been re- fucking released. But but the point is is that wherever, they're, they're looking wherever there. the WWE goes, you know where they're looking. They're going to they're going to put up an NXT there. Absolutely. Um and so as far as any other like AEW of course, they're going to continue to do the partnerships. I don't think AEW is interested in doing the infrastructure like WWE. Is I think doing. I think I think AEW has enough because well number one, I don't think AEW has the money. Or they have they have the money. I just don't I just don't think they want to use con money for everything. Right. Because number one, they were not even expecting this thing to blow up as it did. And I think that they respect the different styles, the different presentation and of I, these different promotions. Emotions to do something like this, right? And and so that's kind of those are kind of the two paths that we see, and it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where it goes. Right. I really am. Yeah, um, I don't have any. I don't think I have really anything else to add to this. I don't either. But so making pro wrestling majestic again with partnerships, um, I think that both of these I think that both of these concepts are going to work into the future. Absolutely. I I'm think, I'm excited like I said, right. I'm really excited and you know, this is definitely going to make pro wrestling majestic again because yeah. obviously it's getting more popular now than it ever has been. Um let us know what you thought. Mm-hmm. Um not only on the topic, not only on the discussion but the new presentation of the show. Yes. Um, as a part to the pro wrestling zone everywhere else, right now it's going to stay as that. 
but it will change. Yeah. Um, I just have not um, had the time to come up with it so because this is our main focus. It's, it's still it's still going to be under the Pro Wrestling Zone banner until yep. we have the new logo. Yep. Until we until I have the time to restructure everything and do all of that. But and this is Make Pro Wrestling Majestic Again, Episode One. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Or yeah. Follow us on social media. If you like these longer-form presentational things, let us know, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, definitely uh, check out all the links. There's going to be a flow page down below where you, it kind of, like, allocated it all together so you can like and share and all that fun stuff. Uh, subscribe to the channel. We're still growing pretty quickly. Um, become a patron. I just relaunched it as well. Um, it's $5 a month, one tier, boom. We're not doing anything expanding from that right. because we do not want anybody to miss any kind of special perk or anything. So we'll have merch and all that stuff. Yep, And uh, we will also soon have uh, some great sponsorship deals coming up soon as well. Working on yeah. some of those. Yeah, hopefully. And um, I'm talking with some people. So yeah, it's so all good. It's, um, it's all great. So thank you guys so much for listening or watching because right. you can watch. And as always, be majestic.